Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So we are doing another kind of mini-series, three or four weeks on... um, what's in the name, renaming community. Adam brought a word um, a little while ago about us being a community that, that would be renaming, a renaming community. And he started to talk about what he kind of felt God was saying in regards to that last week. And I'm going to kind of follow on from that this week. Um, and I want to do it by um, asking you to think right now of any nicknames you had when you were growing up, or maybe even now, or pet names that you have for each other, which you don't have to share right now. I don't want to know those. Um, but just thinking about those kind of nicknames. I remember when I was growing up, um, I don't actually know why. I was thinking about this morning when I was kind of going over this. I was thinking, well, I don't know why that was the case. But I had the, the nickname Steg when I was um, in primary school and the kind of first few years of secondary school. Um, obviously, it must be connected to the first few letters of my name being the first few letters of that. But um, Or the more kind of easily connectable one of Elts, E-L-T-S. Um, I remember some nicknames, not for me necessarily, thank goodness, but some nicknames at school being being incredibly harsh. I remember there was a girl in one of my classes who I won't name in case anyone ever listens to this. They used to be called Forehead because she had obviously quite a large forehead, which is lovely. And Luke's nodding in kind of resonance for that. Must be someone in Luke's class with a similar forename, uh, sorry, forehead or nickname. Uh, there was someone else that was called Gums, which is obviously very kind and affectionate towards her. Um, the worst one... Um, and this is not a sign of all my friends that I spend time with. This is just in the school community at large. Um, there was one that um, was called Wheels because for a period of time he had to be in a wheelchair, not permanently, but for a period of time. And somehow that nickname stuck. So even when he wasn't in a wheelchair anymore, he was still called Wheels. Um, and so anyone that heard that afterwards was like, why on earth is he called Wheels? And like, oh, because he was in a wheelchair for two weeks or something like that. It's just crazy. Um, there's obviously the kind of some horrendous, horrendous ones at primary school. I remember uh, one, bless him, young lad in our class being called Bum Sniffer, um, which is a lovely surname. Um, nickname there, and someone being called Square um, because of their obviously lack of promiscuity um, with the opposite sex. But the point being that, that there's names and nicknames that, that the fascinating thing about them is that they, they, they try to, in whatever way, shape, or form, bring a definition. Um, and I have friends who still now are referred to by the nickname they had back in primary school or secondary school um, some 20, almost 30 years ago um, and yet they still have that nickname because that nickname to them and to their friends that they spend time with is this thing that defines and describes them um, it could be in a positive way it could be in um, a negative way that some people run away from those friendship groups because they're the way they are defined, the way that they are named is very negative. So, for example, I very much doubt people called Forehead or Gums have the same friendship group as they had at secondary school or primary school. Um, but they have this definition aspect, they, this kind of thing that, that drills into like an identity. And it tends to be based on um, the idea that it's either based on your name currently so some derivative of your name or something that you've done which is the fascinating thing that, it's, it, that, that it can be a, a moment in life that then sticks or a characteristic that then sticks 
And it's the idea that this thing sticks, that it was one moment. That my, f- I have friends that, that are, their nickname is attached to their success with, with girls, or their success in a sports team, or, the, or their success in, in something else, when they were like 14, 15. And yet, 20 years later, they still have that nickname, based on that moment in time and embrace that nickname because they like that nickname and they like that name that, that's associated with them they like the fact that it was a definition and a, and a, and a derivative of, of something they'd done something they'd kind of expressed and, and, and in a lot of ways names are that they're, they're, they are something that can often be based around something that's happened in the past something that I've done something that, that has been attributed to me, or it could be not necessarily even a name, but something that we think of ourselves that is based on something I've done. And it might not be a nickname, it might just be the fact that you call yourself stupid or, or an idiot when you do something that you don't like doing, or that you make a mistake and you, without even realizing it, you, you're defining yourself with, oh, I'm such an idiot, why do I do that? Oh, I'm so stupid, why have I just done that? That, that we are naming ourselves based on our behaviours, based on what we do, based on what happens. And some of it's so ingrained that we don't even realise it's happening. Mm. Then it might not be a nickname, but it might be a way that I think about myself in a certain situation or a certain moment. Or it might be that I attach my... I, I read an article the other day where... The, I've ne- I never ever read these bits I don't know why I read this but, but you know the bottom bit which tends to get longer and longer and longer the kind of like Joan is a mother of 16 children and yeah. lives in California and whatever else it may be and all that kind of stuff that seems to be huge now and has 15,000 blogs that she shares weekly and whatever else it may be but the amazing thing is the one of them said that whoever this person was I can't remember her name now but is a is married to a teacher and it didn't say the, the guy's name it didn't didn't say anything about it. We just said married to a teacher. I just found it really bizarre that I wouldn't say, uh, hi, I'm Steve and I'm married to an inclusion coordinator. That'd be such a bizarre thing to say. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Steve. This is an inclusion coordinator and I'm married to her. It's just, it's just bizarre. But it's this idea that even in that, that we can add definition to ourselves or an identity to ourselves based on what we do. That, hi, I'm Steve. I'm a teacher. That's true. But is it something that's attached to my identity or is it just something that I do? It's just an interesting thing to think about. And the amazing thing is, we know, and it's perhaps so overly said and overly stated and overly talked about, but I think, for me, I don't think it's sunk in yet, but, but, but our Father, our Heavenly Father, sees us properly. He doesn't see us based on our nickname. He doesn't see us based on what we've done in the past or what we do right now. He doesn't see us based on our occupation or our profession or our status. He sees us and he sees right past all of that stuff and when he names us he names us based on what he sees not based on what we do as a job what we've done in the past what our friends say about us what our family say about us but he names us based on who we really are and who he's made us to be and the beautiful thing about that is it cuts through so much stuff that you look at the accounts in the scripture we're going to turn to a couple but but so often almost an incredible amount of time Jesus or God names somebody or calls somebody or or gives somebody a responsibility that seems so opposite to what they're actually doing at that point in time the, the, the perhaps the most overly discussed one and, and 
and we make it poetic, we make it kind of noble, we make it kind of this amazing thing, but, but that, that he saw a king in David, despite the fact he was a, a kind of push to the side shepherd boy. And what we do is we look back in that moment and we go, oh yeah, but David was a shepherd boy. He looked after the sheep, he was faithful with the sheep, and he, he kind of fended off bears and lions and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of make it this thing that matches. That does not match in any way, shape or form. Shepherd boy to king. The, the, there is not a connection. We look back and make, make a connection. I, because a real king is one that's a shepherd. But it's not. In Titus society today, you wouldn't go and go, right, I'm going to find a cleaner. I'm going to make them prime minister. <laughs> you wouldn't do that because the connection in our mind in society doesn't connect those two points. Mm. Not knocking a cleaner or, or ele- elevating a prime minister, but I'm just saying from a societal perspective, we look at it and go, they don't connect. It doesn't match. There's not a link. We're not going, okay, well, let, let's go to the kind of local cleaning company and find the next prime minister. We would go to somewhere where we think, like with David's brothers, people that look like it, they sound like it, their their their, their past successes in in the context of David in war, in military efforts, and all that kind of stuff would make them stand out as that person yeah. is the king, and that's what Samuel did, didn't he? He looked on the external and went, "That person's the king." Understandably, because we do the same, I do the same. That person looks like whatever. I want to, I'm looking for at that time. That person doesn't. And yet God says to him, and again, it's overly said, but I don't think we get it yet. I don't think I get it yet. Don't look on the external, but look on the heart. Because God saw in David a king. There's something that he saw, and that's what I see. And so often it's the opposite. God just sees something going on on the inside that just doesn't match, let's say, what's on the outside. And as a community, as a person, I want myself and I want us to be that, that, that kind of person, to be those kind of people, where the external stuff doesn't match, but we see the way God sees. Go, this is who you really are. This, this is what you really are. You're not your job. You're not your nickname. You're not your, what your, your family say you are. You're not what your friends say you are. If those things are not true, this is who you are. And we want to remind you of who you are. Just turn to another one. Just go to, if you want to just turn to Judges 6, verse 7. And Lydia gets brownie points for bringing a Bible where the actual Bible is in front of her, not on a phone. Um, Judges 6. Verse 7. And this is obviously, again, it's a very famous story. And, and the, these things aren't new, but I really think that they're incredibly powerful because I think they're the way that God thinks. And I think. I want to think like he thinks. I want to see like he sees. And therefore I want to remind myself again and again how central these things are. Judges 6 and verse 7. And it says this. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. And the Midianites were persecuting the children of Israel. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you to the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you your you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came, to, came and sat under the Terebith tree, which was in opera. I really don't enjoy these names in these Old Testament passages, which belonged to 
Joash the while he was son, while the son of Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valour. Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord God is with us, then why all the why has all this happened to us? Listen to the, what he's saying. If you're with us, if what you're saying is true, why do my circumstances not match up with it? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manesh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. It goes on and on and on. Again, bring it to now. Gideon believes of himself that his clan are the weakest, that his grouping are the weakest. And that not only that, that he is the weakest in the weak. That he, that, that he is the least of them. That he is the, the one that is least qualified, least able. That Gideon is so dictated to by his circumstances that he is threshing wheat. And again, we super-spiritualise it. I'm not saying there's not meaning in it, but this is not some kind of thing, that, okay, we're looking for a shepherd to be king, I'm looking for someone that's threshing wheat faithfully to be the one that leads Israel out of that. We, we super-spiritualise it because we look back with hindsight and we look for meaning from that. And there is meaning. I'm not saying there's not. There is, can be meaning that we can draw from that. But it, those are not the things which scream and shout, this guy, pick this guy, because he's doing it in a place where he's hiding from the Midianites. So he's doing something because he's scared. He believes that he is the weakest of the weak. And he also um, is dictated to by circumstances. Look, God, if you're with us, why do my circumstances not tell me that? This guy is not strong. He is not kind of some amazingly strong guy in the way that he is behaving or the way that he perceives himself or even probably the way other people perceive him and yet God goes no 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 you're a mighty man of valour that's who you are I see something different in you that is completely opposite of your circumstances that's what it is to be a naming community that's what it is to be a renaming community to see something in people that is, the, that is so often the opposite of the circumstances they find themselves in because it's very easy to see people based on their circumstances it's very easy to define people based on what we see them do mm. successful or unsuccessful that person's amazing because look at the career they've had that person's brilliant because look at their family that person's done this amazing thing because look at what God's done through them all those things are not wrong they're not wrong but it's so easy for us to define and name people based on their current situation based on their past, based on their current mistakes or successes or whatever it may be. But God sees it different. He sees something in people that goes beyond that stuff, that looks beyond what is presented in front of them. Look at Abraham. Again, we see Abraham have a name change in that sense, that he becomes this, for Abraham, which means exalted or, or, or high father to the father of many nations. But he's called the father of many nations before he can even have a child. And again, we forget them because we look at hindsight and go, well, obviously, yeah. But no, but in the context, in that moment in time, he could not have children. And yet God saw something in him. You're the father of many nations. That's who you are. 
You who naturally cannot have children. You who naturally is not going to have any offspring. You who naturally believes that about yourself, so you try and find a way to have offspring in other methods and things. You make mistakes, you lie, you do all these kind of things, but you are the father of many nations. Because I see it in you. Because Abraham wasn't, again, some kind of perfectly noble and perfectly kind of faithful guy who just constantly believed what God said. He, he tried to make it happen himself. He then, when the kings asked him about Sarah, twice, he said, no, 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 she's my sister, she's not my wife. Because he was worried about himself. And he even said, if I die, how is this going to happen? How is what God promised going to happen? Without realising that, actually, without Sarah, it's not going to happen either. Because the birds and the bees require two <laughs> in that context. So he's not this kind of like solidly faithful, believing all the time guy. He's a guy who, who at least three times, at least three times, doubted what God had promised. And yet God saw in him a father of many nations. God, God saw in him something that was different to his circumstances. And he sees the same thing in us. Look at Saul being shifted to Paul. That Saul means prayed for one or, or, or be prayed for. And, and Paul means humble or small. The guy who in Philippians, and we'll come to it in a bit, the guy who in Philippians talks of himself as the best of the best. That there's no one better than me. That I, that I was the best at keeping the law. I, I was the most most obedient and faithful to that I was awesome effectively is what he's saying I was brilliant and, and, and pe- people would attest that there's other accounts where they talk about that and yet God shifted his name this guy who was proud this guy who was thought very highly of himself to the guy who's called humble that it's again God saw something in him that was counter to what he was currently demonstrating and experiencing or, or his past you don't name Paul small so you don't name Saul Small, humble. That, that's not what he looked like. That, 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 that's not the nickname you'd give him. That's not the definition you'd define him with. But God sees something different. And he sees something different in each of us. He sees beyond our current circumstances. He sees beyond our current situations. He sees beyond our current moment that we're in, our past, our behaviours. And he goes, this is who you are. And when we experience that... And the more we experience that, the more we become that to other people. The more I shift away from labelling the children in my classroom, or the friends I have, or the situations and people I encounter, the more more I shift away from judging them based on what I see, and starting to see something beyond their current circumstances and calling that out. And I might look stupid and naive and ignorant, but actually I'm being faithful to what I've seen in them. And the more I experience that from God myself, the more I become able to express that to other people because I just pass on that that sense of belief that's there. It might be, I mean, you look at the the accounts through scriptures, you look at it and and sometimes it's this kind of direct encounter with God where where people are renamed and they have this new sense of identity. Sometimes it's, it's other people saying it to them. Sometimes it's like, look at Barnabas. Barnabas didn't have, we don't hear of Barnabas having this encounter with God where he said, now you are the son of encouragement, you are Barnabas. You were Joseph, now you're Barnabas. That name was given to him based on what other people saw in him. Based on what they caught of him. So sometimes it is not just an individualistic thing, it's a community thing. That yes, there will be points in our lives where I have time with God and I have this fresh sense of like, this is who you are. And it may just, I'm not... 
it's not about that I now change my name from Steve to something else but it's the, that I have a fresh sense of the fact man I'm beloved of God that's what he says of me that I'm a child of God and that fresh sense of that comes and that might come individually or it might come in a community in a corporate setting where we're together and the, the, just that sense of now I want to just remind you this is who you are I want to just remind you this, this is the way that I see you because that, that's the way God sees you and you might feel that you're not that at the minute you might feel that you're the opposite of that but this is who you are but because these terms are thrown around so much they lose sometimes the impact that, that we are 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that we're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus that, that we hear it so often that it loses impact and my prayer is that for myself and for the community that those things that, that what he calls us has a fresh wave of life attached to it and a fresh wave of, of, of relevance attached to it but Romans 8 verse 17 he talks about us being heirs and sons of God that Ephesians 2 um, multiple accounts talk, talks about us being the beloved of God that 2 Corinthians 5 he talks about us being ambassadors that Ephesians 2 verse 10 he talks about us being his workmanship why does this all matter because God wants to bring a sense of identity that is so far removed from what I do that what happens around me doesn't dictate to it anymore and I think sometimes I know for myself that they can get excited and pulled into different things but part of being a Barnabas community part of being a renaming community is that we see things in ourselves and in other people that are not obvious and we pull them out and I, I want for myself that I'm, for me that it becomes so at ease and content with the fact this is who God's called me to be and whether I look like that to other people or I don't I'm a child of God, I'm beloved of God, I'm the righteous of God, I'm an ambassador. People may not ever say it about me, or they may, but that's who I am. That the thing that might not be seen by certain people is still true. And that, for me, it's finding that rest and that not being pulled away by the latest fab. Because actually, no, no, I just want to know who you, who you say I am. I want to know who I am. I want you to tell me that. I want to be in a community that reminds me who I am. That we then become a community who reminds the people who they are. And see it in people the way it doesn't look like it's in them at all but believe in the best not just saying something nice but being so caught with the fact that's who you are I'm going to stick with you until you see it yourself I'm going to stick with you until you until you can recognise that that's who you really are yourself if you just want to go to 2 Corinthians sorry Ephesians 2 verse 10 Ephesians 2 verse 10 it's a hugely famous passage of scripture so you can probably even quote it without even turning there but we'll turn there because it's nice to I'm going to start actually I'm going to start at verse 8 it says this Ephesians 2 verse 8 for by the grace you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works as anyone should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them notice the naming being his workmanship. It's spoken to a corporate community, but it is applicable individually as well. That I am his workmanship. That the naming precedes the doing. That I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works he's prepared beforehand. Now that doesn't mean I have a full sense of my identity in God before I do anything. Because that will take a lifetime and beyond. It does mean that I give time to, and I'll come on to this in a minute, but I give time to 
letting God speak to me about who I am. And that that becomes the foundation, stage by stage, little by little, step by step, from glory to glory, that that becomes more real. And it means that it leads me into even more good works. But those good works are coming after a fresh sense of identity about who I am. Those good works aren't the thing that dictates who I am, but those good works are an expression of who I am. And it's not that I become fully because we have this thing, and I know maybe it's just me, but we have this idea that I've got to have a perfected security in who I am before I do anything. And I don't believe God works like that. I believe it's from step to step that I have a fresh sense of who God's called me to be. And from that comes a fresh expression of that in what I do. And then the next fresh sense of who I am. And then from that, there becomes a fresh expression of who I am. That it's not that I'm waiting for one to do the other, but it's that God is separating your who from you do. That this is who you are, but it's not based on what you do. What you do is based on who you are. And that's what it, that, that we become people even more that that see things based on that's who you are your behavior your circumstances everything around you screams the opposite but this is who you are this is who you are and when that security comes and that fresh renaming and that naming comes it brings a liberty to people where they start to change what they do to match what they've just been called they start to change what they do based on what we've just called out of them that I start to change what I do based on what Jeremy sees in me because it's like wow you really believe that about me and it may not be instant but there'll be little things in my behaviour and the way I speak that starts to change because he has called out something that's true in me that he's recognised that you're God's workmanship Steve this is who you are this is what you how he's made you and that starts to change the way that I think about myself starts to change the way I speak about myself because he's called it out of me and therefore my behaviour starts to to follow what he's seen in me not what I thought of myself before or not what I whether people define me or not the nickname that, that was attributed to me we just go to Luke 3 This is the one problem where you're not doing it in a phone. It takes you longer to get there. Never mind. Luke 3, verse 21. Um, this is John the Baptist baptising Jesus. And it says this in verse 21. When all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptised. And while he prayed, the, hev- the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. The naming... The recognition from God that this is who you are, Jesus. This is who I recognise you as. This is what I call you. And the beautiful line comes next in verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age. That there's a identification, a naming of who Jesus is that preceded him beginning what God had called him to do. That even in Jesus' life, there's a clear dif- distinction between let me identify who you are before you go about and do stuff. Before you go about and what you do starts to be what people call you. What you do can be something that me- means people define you because it can be good and it can be bad. I can go and work my very hardest to have the most successful career, to have the most successful whatever it may be and therefore be labelled with very, very good things. 
Because he's a fantastic teacher, isn't he? He's an amazing deputy head. He's an amazing head teacher. He, he's wonderful in the way that he interacts with people. And that can start to become the definition of who I am. What I believe God is doing in me, and I'm believing in us as a community, is making an adjustment so that when we go out and do good works, when we go out, and they're not bad works, not only go out and just do the, the worst thing in the world to, to kind of counteract anything people can do, but when I go out and do good works, those good works that I do, even if people compliment me, even if people say, that, that's amazing, look at what Hope Springs are doing, look at what you're doing, that those things don't become the definition of who I am. Because my definition has already been given to me by what he saw in me before even those things existed. The Jesus' definition wasn't the miracles he did. It wasn't the raising from the dead. It wasn't the feeding the 5,000. It wasn't the walking on the water. It wasn't the, the kind of walking through a crowd when no one even saw where he went. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't the amazing um, way he confounded the kind of religious. It wasn't the way that he liberated the prostitute. It wasn't the way that he empowered the tax collector. It wasn't the way that, that any of those things happened. His identity was based on the fact, you're my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. Because we are, the exciting thing about this for me is the fact that I really believe that this is an aspect of what Adam brought when he brought about being a renaming community, that we see it in people before they demonstrate it. And that's exciting. And the beauty of that is that if you look at Jesus' life, that it precedes an expression of the heart of God into situations. And I believe that we're seeing that in stage by stage, but it's going to build. And I believe the more secure we become in who God's called us to be, the more we can handle in good works. Because I think sometimes good works can come in, they're great, but even good works, we can be sucked into, that's who I am. I'm someone that moves in miracles, I'm a healer, I'm an evangelist, I'm whatever it may be. But it's actually, no, 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 you're not, you're a son in whom he loves, and in whom he's well pleased. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. You're his workmanship. That's who you are. The other stuff you do is great, but it's just an expression of who he's made you, who he's called you to be. David was a... God saw a king in David. David didn't become a king when he started to rule. David was a king before he ever ruled. Gideon was a mighty warrior before he ever had a victory in battle. Abraham was the father of many nations before he ever had Isaac. Barnabas was a son of encouragement before anybody ever recognised it. Because that's who he was. Those things were just... The, 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 when people saw it, when David started to rule, when, when Gideon won a battle, people went, oh man, look at him, he's awesome. But God's gone, no, no, it's always been there. The circumstance is not the de- defining factor. The f- defining factor is that this is who I've named you. This is who you are. That's what's there. And God's coming in, I really believe, without sounding super spiritual, God's coming in and going... I want you to remind you again. I want you to become even more secure, more aware of who I've called you to be. All the words, all the terms we hear so often, I want it to become even more deeply rooted in your identity, the way you think about yourself, the way you see yourself. That it's not based on what you do, but it's based on who I've called you to be. I'm going to finish with two scriptures, three scriptures, sorry. We've talked about this before, and I think we've talked about this renaming thing, and we will be a renaming community, and it starts to work in us, and then we start to, the, the deeper it goes in us, the more I express it out. And I believe that there's a few key aspects to this that, that I believe that now how we can 
do things that ready us for this, that help us come into this more. Um, and the first one, we just go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Just habits, I suppose. And I, I'm, always, I'm always so hesitant to say this is what we can do. But that doesn't mean we can't have habits that help us. Healthy habits that help us form and, and give time to this, I suppose, more than anything else. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16, we'll start with. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we are with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. That, it, that it's about giving time to behold Jesus. We've talked about before that my ultimate identity and my ultimate destiny and my ultimate end is to be conformed in the way is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that word conformed doesn't mean that I become something new. It means that I'm expressing what he's always made me externally. That's my ultimate aim. Not to be an evangelist, not to be a prophet, not to be a healer, not, not to be any of those other things. Nothing wrong with those things. But my ultimate aim is to be conformed and transformed to express Jesus Christ. Because that's, I've been made like him. He's made me like him. And therefore to express that is my ultimate thing. And that happens when I behold him. That I, I give time to spend with Jesus in it, by reading his Bible, by spending time in worship, by spending time in prayer. I give time to that and time to behold him. And I, I feel for myself a challenge to just give more time for that, the more time to behold him. There's nothing wrong with, with spending time watching telly, spending time playing on a PlayStation, playing on Crash Bandicoot, whatever it may be. Um, but it's about giving time to behold him and spending time and designated time to say, I'm just going to spend time beholding you. That my attitude is to behold you, Jesus. I want, to just, just, I want to just spend time with you. I want to encounter you. You just go to two more scriptures. Philippians 3. And we'll start at verse 1. It's Paul talking. I said we'd refer to this later on. Um, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious but for, for you it is safe beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of mutilation for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh though I might also have confidence in the flesh if anyone out thinks he has confidence in the flesh I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel the tribe of Benjamin Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless so Paul's saying look I'm awesome guys I'm absolutely awesome I'm the best of the best when you look at trying to be the best in your own self effort your best in what you can do I'm it you won't top me I'm the best of the best and he says this but what things were gained to me these I've counted lost for Christ so those successes, those things which were good, those things which I could draw from to find my identity, I count it as loss. I count it as not worth it. That even in and I, the, the successes we will see in division as a community, it's right to celebrate those as testimonies, but it is not healthy to have those be something that defines us. The Paul said, look, the successes I've had, but I don't draw on them for definition. Because as soon as I draw on them for definition, I limit myself. 
to the past, to that, that definition from the past. And he says this, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or in other words, dung or poo, that I may gain Christ. So all these successes, all these great things, they're nothing, because it gets in the way of me encountering and beholding Jesus that I'm not going to behold my past successes I'm not going to behold um, my past wins or the greatness of things I've done in the past but I'm going to behold Jesus because that's the ultimate thing I'm not going to dismiss the successes we'll celebrate the successes we'll enjoy them but that's not what I'm beholding that's not where my gaze is my gaze is not on the things that I've done well or all the things I've done badly my gaze is on Jesus that I'd be conformed to that image, that I'd express that image, that I wouldn't express the image of past successes or past failures. But my beholding, my gaze, my focus is looking toward Jesus. That's who I want. That's what I want to express. And then it says in verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, my own identity, my own definition which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as us are in I'm mature have this mind and if anything you think otherwise God may also reveal this to you this idea that he is pressing towards something that's not based on past that's not based on success or failure but I want to press toward Jesus that that is my goal he is my goal he is my aim that's what I'm looking for because that is what I am he has defined me and therefore my beholding my focus is on him because we will have successes and we will have failures. We, we will have ups and we will have downs. But we are going to be a community. I am going to be a person as much as I possibly can that is caught with beholding him. That when the successes come, fantastic. When the failures come, that's tough. But they do not have any definition on me, on us as a community. Because our definition is by the one who's named us because when that happens and the more that happens and the deeper that goes in me the more I express that heart to other people so that when I the more that becomes real on the inside of me the more that when I meet somebody I don't define them based on what they've done on what's happened to them on what their circumstances say but I define them based on what God sees in them because I start to think like he thinks so this isn't just important for me as an individual or for us as a community. This is important for the people we meet. That, that in a society that is so dictated to by external factors, how many likes do you have on your latest Facebook post? How many retweets did you get? That it's just ridiculous. As a little side note, Man United sign, I'm sorry for any Chelsea fans in the room, Romelu Lukaku this week, um, from one of the noses of Chelsea, which is great from a football perspective. But the amazing thing is, one of the things that they, they, they kind of celebrated as a football team is that his signing had more retweets than any other signing they had before. And that, that's interesting, but it's, it, it's bizarre. But that is the kind of way that we define success. So they're defining the, the success of that signing, partly because 
it was retweeted more than other ones before. Mm-hmm. So how do I define the success of my latest post or the success of my latest venture or the success of my latest thing I do? I am so tempted to d- d- define it based on how many people liked it, what was the feedback from people about it, what was the perception that people had towards it. Now, those are not necessarily wrong, that it's good to have feedback, but that's not what defines what I do. It can't be, because then I'm moved by societal things, and I want to be, and I want us to be, and I want our lives to be the people that are just beholding that, because that's the way we'll see people, if we realise that God sees us that way as well. One final scripture, and it connects in. Because Paul said there's not, there's one thing, there's one thing that he has apprehended, the one thing he says, that I'm going to not focus on what's, I'm going to forgetting what's behind and a focus to what's ahead and focus towards Jesus Christ that's the one thing he said and that, that expression is repeated by Jesus himself you just go to one last scripture in Luke 10 and when Jesus says this when Paul says it you pay attention when Jesus says it you think man this is something we need to catch verse 38 Luke 10 verse 38 Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to Martha, so I said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Martha was serving, was doing. Nothing wrong with that at all. But I would suggest that Jesus is not advocating here a lack of serving. That's not what he's saying. What he is addressing is the purpose of your serving. Are you serving to get identity? Are you serving to be named? Are you serving to have a a sense of worth? Or are you serving because you're serving from a place of where the one thing was there? The Mary sat at Jesus' feet. The Mary's definition at that point in time wasn't the greatest servant, wasn't the one that looked after Jesus the most. Mary's definition, the, the identity that Mary had was that I'm just one that sits at Jesus' feet. I'm one that just beholds him. I'm one that just listens to him. Because then Jesus goes, that's what's needed. There's one thing that's needed. Be a people, be a person who just sits at his feet to behold Jesus. And from that place, you'll go and do. He's not saying you shouldn't serve. Otherwise, we have got it massively wrong. We should just not get jobs, not do anything, just come and sit and just spend time in worship all day long, every day long. Jesus is not advocating no doing, but he's saying, look, the place of doing comes from the place of sitting and beholding me and seeing me and giving time to that and drawing from me that that's when my serving isn't from a place of worry and anxiety, which is where Mary's was, so where Martha's was, but my serving is then from a place of, man, that's who you've called me to be. You've called me a king. You've called me a, a, a child of God. You've called me those things. And therefore, I'm going to go from that place and express your heart by serving society. Go from that place and express your heart by serving the person I've just met in, in a coffee shop or serving the person I've just met in my, my job or a student in my class or, my, or my, my, my wife or my husband or my child or whatever it may be. From that place. 
that God, I want to give time to just sitting at your feet, just beholding you, forgetting what's past, good and bad, forgetting anything else that may define me, the nickname I had at school, the kind of identity that other people labelled me with, forgetting all that other stuff and just sit with you and behold you and say God I just want to be with you and from that place you bring me definition from that place you name me from that place you see and I begin to see what you see in me and I take from that place a sense of identity that's not moved by the ups and downs of societal expectation it's not moved by the ups and downs of my day whether it's a great day or not a good day but it's moved by the fact that this is who you've called me to be and therefore I take that and I begin to express that same heart that you've invested in me to other people. I begin to see other people in the same way that you see me. And that's serving society. That we pull out the best in every single person, even the ones that look the worst. That we pull out the best. Because that's who you are. That's what a renaming community is. That, that's what a Barnabas community is. And it starts from sitting at his feet beholding him giving time to that and getting up from there and going and serving society so Jesus I just thank you for what you're calling us to and what you're reminding us of and I just ask my prayer for myself and for everyone that's connected with us as a community I just pray that this week you would help us and sometimes help us be brave and be, be strong in our decisions to just give time to just be with you just time where we're just beholding you. Time where we're just forgetting those things which are past and engaging with you instead. That you just help us this week to do that. That you'd help us this week to sit at your feet. That, that when we then get up and go and serve, we would serve not to gain identity, not to get identity, not to be something, but we go knowing who you've called us to be already and therefore go to be a servant to society, go to be a blessing to society, go to be a, a provocation and a, an encouragement to society from a place of sitting at your feet, from a place of beholding you. Help us this week to have time to do that. Help us this week to make time to do that. In Jesus' name. Help us this week to kind of set up healthy habits. In Jesus' name. Amen.